Welcome to the Granary Church podcast. We're happy you could join us. For more information on the Granary Church, head to granary.org.au or follow our socials at the Granary Church. We are very privileged today to have some guests here from IJM, International Justice Mission. And if you've been a part of our church for a while now, you might know that we have supported IJM and their work around the world for a number of years. Um, If you're new, you're going to hear a lot more about it. But IJM are doing incredible work right across the world in many countries. And they work particularly in fighting injustice and in the areas of working to fight against slavery and trafficking and um, strengthening justice systems in countries around the world. And so tonight we're going to do things a little bit differently. Rather than having a 20-minute sermon, we are going to hear from um, our friend Jake tonight and we are going to do a bit of Q&A and get to know him and hear about his work. So Jake is the country director of IGM Cambodia. So let's welcome him. So as we get started tonight, I just really felt to say that, you know, sometimes it's easy to get overwhelmed by the number of issues that are going on around the world and you can turn on the radio or you can turn on the TV and you can hear about earthquakes in Turkey and Syria and you can hear about cyclones in Vanuatu and there's just so much happening and sometimes it's easy to get a bit overwhelmed. And there's two ways we can go about it. We can kind of go, it's too much. I can't engage with it. Like I'm just kind of going to shut off from that and I'm going to focus on just what's around me in my daily life. That's one way to go about it. But as Christians, I really believe that God actually calls us to engage with these issues because when we engage with the issues, it's then that we can also engage with the solutions and the way that God is working to bring about his kingdom right around the world. And so we're going to hear tonight about the way that God is working through IJM. And I really just encourage you to settle in and and to hear what um, Jake's going to share with us tonight because it's really incredible work that they are doing around the world. So thanks for coming, Jake. It's great to have you here. Just to get started, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your family and what your life looks like right now? Sure. So thanks for having me. Uh, I, my wife and I moved to Cambodia in uh, late 2019 to take the job of country director for IJM. Shortly thereafter, uh, two things happened. The, the pandemic made life in Cambodia a lot different than we thought it was going to be. Uh, and then shortly thereafter, we found out we were pregnant. Uh, and so uh, September 2020, we welcomed our first daughter into the world and thought, hey, why not have a bunch more kids? Uh, and so we did that. And uh, we had our second daughter. I was born in October of last year, at which point we said, that's enough. Famous last words. We said that. Here we are with number four. But uh, basically, that is that is my life. Those three women uh, in this job uh, are, are my life. On the margins, I really like to write and run. Uh, and sometimes go to Australia and sneak up to Nelson Bay for a quick cheeky snorkel. Yeah, after lunch, Jake's like, I'm just going to sneak up for a snorkel at Nelson Bay. I'm like, you know, it's a two-hour return trip. He's like, yeah, yeah, just a quick one. Jake, for those in the room who maybe haven't heard much about IGM, can you tell us a bit more about who they are and and what their mission is? So uh, International Justice Mission is the world's largest organization dedicated fully to protecting the poor from violence. So that can mean a lot of different things or many different approaches to doing that. Our particular approach 
is to work very closely with local government partners, other NGOs, other civil society groups, and many other types of actors, uh, principally to help the public justice system do four things more effectively. And that is to rescue victims, to hold perpetrators accountable, to restore survivors uh, who have been exploited by violence, and then lastly, to do what we call scaling demand for protection, uh, which is getting other people excited about uh, justice. And uh, that can involve policy advocacy, engagement with the media, um, a whole lot of things. But in Cambodia, the type of injustice and violence that we are working to combat is something we call forced labor slavery, which is a particularly violent form of labor exploitation where people are offered jobs, find out that they're actually doing something very different. Uh, they're held against their will and forced to keep working. Sometimes they're abused physically or verbally. Um, it is a very, uh, a very violent and dark place. And oftentimes in Cambodia, the way that this takes place is actually across international borders. So we work very closely with IJM's other offices in the region, in the Philippines, in Thailand, in Malaysia, Myanmar, Indonesia, helping their governments and Cambodia's governments respond more effectively to combating this abuse where, we, where it occurs. Before we talk more, a bit more about that, can you tell us a bit about your journey of coming into this line of work and um, the way that God called you into this area of work? So uh, that calling, uh, as it were, sort of began, uh, as I think many do, um, in a less sort of inspired sense. I, I actually just found, about it, found out about an internship posting uh, at IJM uh, 15 years ago. And I was like, that looks interesting. That was the extent of the calling really at that point. And, and, and honestly, I was, I was an accounting major. I had interned with a, one of like the big four firms and thought that was what I was going to do. I just wanted to try one other thing before I went down that path. And it was really the first time I'd ever heard about injustice, uh, global poverty alleviation efforts and, and that sort of thing. Uh, it was the first time my eyes were really open to the fact that most people in the world did not grow up the way that I did um, with a general assurance that violence was not going to happen to them on a daily basis. And it really completely changed the trajectory of my life. Um, I ended up deciding not to go work for a big accounting firm. Instead, I went and lived in northern Myanmar for a couple of years. And while I was there, I worked for Harvard Human Rights Clinic, which is an organization of, of lawyers and legal researchers that were trying to gain stories from people who had been displaced from that crisis. So a justice system that had totally failed to the point where it was attacking its own people. After that, I went to grad school. I did a couple of other jobs and I landed at a global development lab, which is essentially a fancy word for a research consultancy based at a college that was looking at uh, how the U.S. government, how the U.N., how the Australian government, how effectively they were at giving money to poor folks and, and having that money actually protect them. And like I said, there's lots of ways you can go about this, this work. But one thing I was continually struck by in this role was how much rule of law is neglected uh, in that effort to help people. And so, again, IJM's theory of change, our, our, our mission is, is we, we believe that if you can end impunity, you can end the violence. And I saw that model as a missing piece um, out there. And um, along the way, I, I, I was living in uh, northern Colombia on the border with Venezuela. Uh, and I, I met a man named Pablo Vieta, who runs IJM's work in Latin America. And Pablo was uh, thinking about opening an office in Colombia. And I, I reconnected with him and uh, we sort of became friends. And um, that really put IJM back on my radar. And 
Uh, Pablo reached out about a year later and suggested that I apply to the job I'm currently in, leading uh, Cam- IGM's work in Cambodia. So. so can you give us a bit more insight into the particular types of injustices that are being faced in Cambodia that IGM are working in that area? So before I do, though, I would just, I'm not sure how much people know about Cambodia, but the the country of Cambodia and the word injustice um, go, go uh, hand in glove with each other. Um, about 40 years ago, um, there was one of the world's largest and most devastating genocides took place in Cambodia and wiped out about a third of the population. Um, and so, which included most of the educated class. And today, uh, the mark of that is that Cambodia suffers from extremely low wages, really poor economic opportunities, and a really bad labor rights situation. And one of the impacts of that has been that lots of people in Cambodia end up being willing to look and take really high risks to leave Cambodia and go work overseas. Uh, And so we work in uh, the fishing industry um, where men and adolescent boys are recruited by brokers who promise them great jobs in the Thai fishing industry, which has connections to the global fishing market. Uh, They're promised high wages and decent working conditions. Uh, And when they arrive, they find something very different. They're they're trapped on boats in the middle of the ocean. They're frequently not paid or not paid what they were told they were going to get paid. They witness abuse. They're not allowed to leave. Um, So it's a really dark place that impacts a a lot of people. This industry is over 100,000 people, and many of them Uh, are victims of violence. We also work um, domestically with Cambodians who have been trapped in situations of exploitation, actually physically in Cambodia. Along with having low economic opportunities, Cambodia has the world's highest rate of indebtedness. um, And much of that debt is held off the books uh, by illegal loan sharks and money lenders. Many of those people own their own businesses and use people who have gotten themselves into too much debt uh, as basically free labor. Uh, and because there's nothing regulating those labor, mar- um, those lending markets, oftentimes if that person who received the debt gets sick or dies or can't work for some reason, their children end up inheriting the debt. And so this is generational uh, burden of, of forced labor happening. Then the final uh, piece that we are working on are foreign nationals that come to Cambodia um, and get trapped in some situation of exploitation. And Uh, Before the pandemic, this was actually really rare. Uh, It was very unusual that you would see foreign nationals come to Cambodia for many of the reasons I'm talking about it. It's got sort of a scary history, not many great jobs, really low wages. But the pandemic sort of upended that equation. Uh, So a lot of the other countries in the region just completely shut down, closed their borders, um, and a lot of people got out of jobs. Cambodia, on the other hand, remained open, and there was one industry in Cambodia that continued to thrive, and that was its, its industry of criminality. Um, so Cambodia has a very well-developed organized crime uh, industry or uh, network. And many of those people work in and around the gambling industry, like, like exists in many other countries. Casinos are oftentimes fronts for other things. But the casino industry also took a major hit when the pandemic happened. But you have then these pretty well-protected, sophisticated, powerful, organized criminals on one hand, And then this large population of vulnerable workers looking for jobs and willing to take higher risks than normal, on the other hand. And what emerged uh, was an industry revolving around scamming uh, people from other countries 
on the back of forced labor. And I can talk a little bit more of that. We were chatting about this over lunch and it really struck me how often when we hear um, about issues of, of slavery and trafficking, we can think that it's an issue that's out there in another country. It doesn't affect us. It's something, you know, that's impacting people in different countries. But what I want us to really understand is the link between our country and us here and it happening all around us. Because how many of you have received a scam text message from from Australia Post, eToll, like the list goes on. I, I know I receive them almost on a daily basis at the moment. And um, yeah, so I'd love you to share a bit more about that. Yeah, I can do. Um, I mean, yeah, the odds that someone in this room has not received a text message from someone who's being held against their will and forced to send it in Cambodia is basically zero. I mean, it's it's almost, it's almost certain that that's happened. Uh, I know that I have personally um, as well. So yeah, it's, it's a ma- it is a massive industry. We believe that there's over 100,000 people in Cambodia being held against their will and forced to conduct scams on a, yeah, like this industrial scale. Um, and the way, that, the way that works is, and I can sort of tell this through uh, the story of someone that, that we helped, um, people will respond to ads on Facebook. They'll respond to ads on TikTok or, or little comments on TikTok talking about jobs, right? And they'll say, oh, wow, there's a great job in this country. I'm like, going to find out more about that. They'll respond, they'll get more information, they'll do an interview, they'll come thinking they're going to be a customer service rep. And then, uh, you know, when they arrive, they have their passports taken from them, they have their, their cell phones taken from them, and they get locked in these buildings that used to be hotels, casinos, apartments, but now very clearly look like prisons. You'll have big gates around the outside with barbed wire on the inside, bars over all the windows, guards looking towards the interior of the building. Uh, and then what they face inside is looks very much like a sales floor uh, where they are selling a product, which is a scam, uh, in, in a sort of sophisticated fashion. But instead of not getting your commission, if you don't hit your targets, you're beaten, you're deprived of food, uh, you incur debt. Uh, there's like a lot of use of tasers. Like it's, it becomes very, very violent. If you if you refuse to engage or you or you or you don't perform well. And can you tell us about the story of Miracle? So about nine months ago, um, a guy from the U.S. reached out to me uh, on LinkedIn, uh, just an email on LinkedIn. He was a a banker uh, from Indonesia originally, and he was telling me this story about his sister uh, who was being held against her will. This exact uh, this exact situation. So Miracle had been out of a job for over a year. She responded to an ad on Facebook and then landed in one of these compounds. And so we communicated through him to his sister in their in their local dialect. They were using sort of coded language to uh, avoid uh, the surveillance that her phone was under to identify and get a picture of her story and also the story of nine other Indonesians that were trapped with her. We gathered that information. We figured out where they were and this was the crazy part to me is it actually is in a building very, very close to where I live. It wasn't on top of a mountain or in the middle of a jungle. This is right in the middle of the largest city uh, in Cambodia in a pretty affluent area. We were able to coordinate with the Cambodian police to rescue all nine of these people. And, the, and when the Indonesian ambassador heard about this, he was so moved by this story of a family on two continents helping other Indonesians get out of a really difficult situation. He asked if he could join the interview we did with them afterwards. And then he used the transcripts from that interview, sent them to the governor of the province that Miracle was from. That governor then went directly to the head of police 
and provided that information, which they used as a warrant and arrested all of the brokers on the Indonesian side. So I, I traveled down to Batam, where, where Miracle's from, just a few days after they got back. And, and the whole crew was there. They were super excited to be home. Uh, they were really thrilled that it looked like justice was going to be done, but they were also scared because they were starting to get threats and intimidation from the lawyers. Um, and so uh, we, we worked through our partners in Indonesia to make sure that they had appropriate support, legal counsel, and long story short, uh, convictions were issued in all three uh, of the cases, and the court uh, in Indonesia actually mandated that they provide compensation to the victims as well. And so praise God for, for that. And um, yeah, and now uh, the nine are, are with our partners in Indonesia, and they are uh, receiving vocational training and help finding jobs, better opportunities where they live. I love that IJM is um, just taking part in the whole process right from the rescue. They don't just do the rescue and then say, see you later. It's the rescue. It's getting perpetrators held accountable. It's working in rehabilitation. It's working in every step of the journey to um, yeah work right through the system. And one of the things that I love is the way that IJM coordinates with every level of society. They're working with governments, with the police, with civil society, with other NGOs. So they're actually training and equipping you know all the different aspects of society to be doing this work in their local areas. And I think that's what is so powerful about IJM's work. Can you tell us how we can be involved um, if we receive a scam text or a phone call or something like that? How can we respond and actually be involved in this fight? Uh, so if you get an annoying scam message, this is what I do now uh, and what I've been advising people to do. If you get an annoying scam message, just say, are you being held against your will and forced to do this? And probably they're going to say, what? What do you mean? I'm confused. And they say, well, we know that this situation is going on in Cambodia and Myanmar and Laos and other countries. Uh, if you need help, contact this organization. And how big is this network in terms of Cambodia's like GDP? So through the ways that we have of estimating this, we think it's about 100,000 people. And and when you sort of play that out, we've talked to hundreds of people in this situation. Uh, they're all saying it's $300, $400 a day that they're earning. Um, and so you sort of do that math out, that's $12 billion a year. And Cambodia's whole GDP is like $25 billion a year. So this is this is like the biggest industry in the country by some measure. One of the things that I love as well about IJM is the way, because they work with um, every aspect of society, the way they can work to build capacity in the locals and to empower the locals and, and teach them and train them and equip them to do the work themselves. And then they're actually able to shut down their office in particular cities and move on to new cities to do the work. And I just think that's so amazing that the role that you're playing is actually equipping the locals and then because of that you're able to move on. Tell us what else in your work it is that keeps you hopeful in the midst of these daily battles. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it comes down to those, those local staff members. So in a major way, uh, IJM has, uh, our, our CEO in Australia says, we have run into the fire. Uh, this is a situation that uh, nobody knew anything about two or three years ago and a lot of risks and challenges about uh, doing that. But through prayer and through discernment uh, and through a lot of courage that our local team has that are, uh, you know, our local team does not look like me. Uh, as Other than one other person, we got 45 people in Cambodia. The rest of them are, are Cambodian. So, um, you know, things get bad. I'd just come to Australia and go snorkeling, right? But uh, if things go bad, they're they're in a, a, a like a, a very high risk uh, situation. So, watching them at work and watching their willingness to engage in this sort of 
pretty high stakes fight has been um, has been remarkable and hopeful for me. And I, I could be up here for hours telling stories of of how that has been. But the, at the end of the day, it is like that is the moment when when you are willing or become willing to take on risk for someone who can't do anything for you. That's the moment where we actually begin to follow and emulate Christ. And, and that's the moment where everything else sort of ceases to matter. Um, IJM makes great impact around the world. Yes, we've been able to leave cities and demonstrate that prevalence is reduced sustainably and built up these local leaders. But at the end of the day, demonstrating true solidarity with vulnerable people is, is the core of what Christ asked us to do. And, uh, you know, once we do that, it really, everything else doesn't matter. If, then if, if someone gets hurt or goes to jail, uh, God forbid someone dies, and, and none of that is theoretical, uh, by the way, in IJM's history, like all of those things have happened to people in this work. We're doing it for a better purpose. We're not just doing it for a political cause or some ideology or some program. We're doing it for solidarity and love. Um, we're doing it to spread the good news, and that's, you know, regardless of what else happens, that's, that's something that's hopeful. How can we be praying for IJM and for you in the work that you're doing? Continued courage is a good, is a good way. Um, you know, this this is for many, many reasons. It's, it is a very uh, high risk work, particularly for that local staff. And um, our office is, has, um, you know, by that token, like experienced uh, some risks and challenges in recent years. So uh, please be pay, praying for their courage. Please also just be praying for um, our team uh, in Australia as well and our team in the U.S. And um, our ability to do this work depends on uh, on their work and it depends on um, our ability to have to help other people want to come alongside. Um, and, you know, you know, personally, I feel like that is a it's a really beautiful place to be because like we're asking people to come into partnership with the very center of of what it means to be a Christian. So just prayer for courage and prayer for for wisdom and discernment. And that. On that note, we're going to finish now, but I want to um, just draw your attention to these little brochures that are on each of your chairs because IJM obviously relies on the financial support of donors. And so we have the opportunity to become monthly freedom partners, which means you're supporting IJM monthly or through a one-off donation. And that really just goes directly into enabling them to do this work of bringing freedom to people all around the world. I know our family personally... um, are freedom partners and we really do feel engaged in the work that IJM is doing through the email updates and through just being a part of of their prayer network. It's really amazing to feel like you're a part of that and really see firsthand what God is doing through IJM. Um, The other thing, the other way that you can be involved, um, and this is more in an immediate sense as well, IJM have something called a prayer cloud and it's where when rescues are unfolding you can actually sign up to be a part of receiving SMSs throughout the day so you might receive an SMS saying this is happening can you be praying for this particular aspect of it and throughout the day as the rescue unfolds you'll receive text messages to your phone which is updating you and you can be praying throughout the day because it really does rely on prayer we know that our battle is not against flesh and blood but we know that God is going before 
for them in the work that they're doing. So if you want to join up to be a part of that prayer network and receive those text messages, you can do that as well. The other way that you can become involved is by going on a field trip with IJM. So we are finally, after a lot of years of break after COVID, we're getting back into our trips. And one of those is going to be a field trip to India. So if you're interested in that, I would love to see some young adults and anyone really coming along. There's no set dates yet, but come to the information desk or come and speak to one of us and register your expression of interest and we'll take your name and your details. And lastly, Jake obviously has an amazing journey, lots of stories. He has written a book entitled Wanderlust and so you can purchase it tonight if you want. It's also available on Book Depository and Amazon and that will take you a bit more into hearing about his journey and the work that he has done and is doing. So please join me in thanking Jake for sharing with us tonight. And why don't we all stand to our feet now? We're going to pray for IJM and for Jake. If you feel comfortable, reach out your hands, but I really want this to be something that we're all engaged in. Thank you, God, for what we've heard tonight, Lord. I thank you, Father, for the incredible work that you are doing around the world through IJM and through staff members like Jake and those on the front line right across the world, Lord. I thank you, God, for the bravery and for the courage that these staff members show every day in the commitment to their work. And Lord, we just pray for renewed strength and energy, Father. We pray against compassion fatigue. We pray, Lord, that you will continue to be their source of strength and energy. We pray, Lord, that you will continue to go before them in the work that they're doing. We pray for wisdom and insight into where they need to be targeting their work and, and how they can find these people that are that are trapped in positions, Lord, that, that are seen seemingly silent and voiceless, Father. I thank you that you know each one of them. You know them by name, Lord, and um, they are not voiceless and they are not faceless to you, Father. And so we pray for insight and wisdom for the IJM team, for where they should be focusing their attention and where they can be carrying out these rescues. We pray, Lord, just for you to just go forth in that spiritual battle that they face every day. We pray for protection around all of the workers because we know that there is just so much at stake in this work that they are doing. So we we bless them and we thank them for the work that they're doing, Lord, and we commit them into your hands, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Jake. We are going to hand over now to the lovely Bev, who's going to take us through a time of communion. Wasn't that just amazingly energising to listen to? Do you know, courage is, is one of the preeminent requirements of a Christian. So often we feel like Christianity should be safe and everything should be comfortable and careful. But in actual fact, that's never been the way it is. And I loved when Jake talked about the fact that the CEO speaks about running into the fire, that as a, as a group, that when they're, when there's trouble like that, they run into the fire. And I don't know about you, but I've heard him say it three times now. And every time my heart just leaps and I'm like, yes, we're called to run into the fire. We're called to run in and identify with the vulnerable and with the broken. So when you pray, yeah, pray for courage because if you just let yourself think about what they go through every day, the individual team members, what they go through every single day, watching what people can sometimes do 
to other people, it must be overwhelming. So pray for courage and pray they don't get compassion fatigue because both of those things are really important. We're starting on a whole season of talking about communion and so I'm going to read a scripture which we're pretty used to hearing when we take communion. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he has given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. And he was speaking to all of us when he said that. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now when we think of communion, we generally compartmentalise it into something that happens in the church. It's part of our Christian culture to solemnly remember that Jesus died for us and that somebody will stand up the front, probably the minister, maybe they're even wearing special clothes, and um, they will recite a scripture and then they will direct us into taking that. But, you know, Paul isn't talking about a ceremony in church He's talking about dinner together, a time when Jesus and his closest friends had dinner together and he was looking into the future that held his own death as well as his resurrection. Now, the the friends didn't know what he was facing, but they did have a real sense of the fact that something was going down and it was really a difficult thing. And they would look back on that time and they would understand that the remembrance that he spoke of would be the awareness and the realisation, not just of the past but of the future, that if they held on to Jesus, if they called on him, if they stopped and took the time to remember him, that God would meet with them there at that place. Because communion is so much more than something we do in church. And it doesn't need a special someone to be in charge. As often as you drink it, whenever you drink it, any time you drink it, we proclaim to our situation and our conflict and our pain and our confusion and our complacency that Jesus died not just for me as a person but for the issues that I'm facing. When life is tough, take communion. Take communion by yourself with your family or your friends or your connect group. Take communion when life is painful, when your money keeps running out before the month is up, when your marriage is under pressure, when your isolation and loneliness have plumbed new depths or when you just need a break and you just need to get away from everybody. You know, people drink to forget We're surrounded by a society that celebrates getting drunk, celebrates just being in the gutter practically. We're surrounded by that. People drink to forget. But when Christians stop to take communion, we drink to remember. You know, society finds all sorts of ways to numb ourselves. Screen addiction, alcohol or porn, or drug addiction, or TV, or buying things, attempting to make our inner world perfect 
if we can just make our outside world perfect enough, if we can just get the right colour paint on the walls, if we can just get everything to match, if we can just make that look perfect, maybe it will contribute to us looking a little bit more perfect on the inside, which of course we all know doesn't work. We've got myriad ways that we try to drown the issues that want to crowd out our belief in Christ as being an answer, as being somebody who didn't just die to take us to heaven, but he died to save us every minute of every day of our lives. And so we drink to remember that. We drink to remember the incredible sacrifice and the power of the God who created us to give us peace. We drink to remember that we're not alone in our pain and our problems, but he is with us every single minute of every single day of our lives. Now, we just heard about the plight of people across the world. You know, whenever I hear things like that, there's, there's something in me that thinks, how do the people who, who work to rescue people from that kind of, you know, terrible, tragic inhumanity, how do they keep going day after day? How do they keep getting the courage and the will and the, and the strength to go again? when they're faced so constantly with so much hatred and greed and cruelty? How do they get that strength? And then I look at the fact that across the world, in communities everywhere, there are Christians who are in dire straits. They're they're in danger of death. They're in desperate situations. And I think, how do they get through? You know, when it comes down to it, the only way that Christians can live the abundant life that Jesus promised is by remembering him. And, you know, so many times we think, if I could just get my life perfect, if I could just get my life to work out, if I could just get my kids to do the right thing, if I could just get the right job, if I could just get enough money, if I could just make my house, you know, beautiful enough, if I could just 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 do one of those things, then everything would be okay. Then I could live in that abundance. But you know, the only way to live in abundance is by remembering Jesus, who he is for us, what he's done for us. Now, these symbols have changed over the years. I became a Christian as an adult, as a married woman, and I can remember the first time I was in a communion service and and for a few years after that, we had this cup, one cup, and um, it just got passed around from person to person. And, and, you know, you just had to drink. You just had to take a sip out of it, you know, and just you knew the next person next to you had the flu really badly or hoping nobody had gastroenteritis, you know, but you just had to drink it, you know, because you didn't have faith if you didn't drink it, you know. I mean, that was a thing. There's nothing special in that. Nowadays we've got these little tiny cups and people are like, this doesn't taste like bread, this tastes like plastic, which of course it may even be plastic for all I know. Definitely does taste like that. And by the way, if you're gluten-free, when we go to take communion, the blank ones are the ones that are not gluten-free and the ones that have got writing on them are gluten-free, so you can have that. But the truth of it is there isn't any official communion. Right When Jesus took communion with his mates, he used what was common for the day, which happened to be wine and bread. But he might just as easily have used jats and apple juice. Like it wouldn't have mattered to him. So what would it be like? 
when there was trouble in our family or in our finances or when our faith was wavering to such a degree that we don't know what we believe anymore or even if we do believe anymore. If we took a a cup of juice or milk or wine or water and a piece of bread or a piece of cake and we stopped all our busyness to remember Jesus, just to just to say those words over for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. To remember that he not only died for me and for us and for the pain that we're in right now and the anger or the confusion or the complacency or the boredom that we feel, but he didn't just die, he also rose again. And so all that hope and peace and joy that Jesus brought to us didn't end in death. It continued past the grave. It just went right on through and then rose again into everlasting life, not just his but ours also. When people believe in him, then we rose when he rose. And so I want to encourage you with this. The Lord's got this. Whatever this is for you, whatever the difficulties you're in, whatever the stress, whatever the pressure and the pain, he's got it. He understands what you're going through. And in the midst of it all, he encourages us to remember him, just like he did with the disciples on the night that he was betrayed. We would be amazed at the peace and trust that communion would bring to our heart when we make as often as you drink this, as often as you eat this, more common to our lives. If, if we could do it at home or in our people group, alone or with our friends every week, maybe every day sometimes, anytime, with anything, as often as you drink it can be our go-to for times of trouble and times of celebration, times of emptiness or fear or rage or whatever the issues are, in times of bitterness when we feel like we just can't forgive or times of loss when we feel like we've sunk so far down that we can't come back up again. As often as you need to remember my love for you and my willingness to be with you in every circumstance and my miracle working power that brings the peace that passes all your understanding to guard your heart and guard your mind, anything could happen because we're stopping in the middle of it all to remember the Lord Christ who bought us with his blood, who laid down his life so we could live in him. And sometimes in the madness of our life, we forget him. Honestly, I do all the time. When there's too much stress, when there's too much happening, when I'm trying to work out how to fix it all, it's so easy to forget. But if I will go and just take my little bit of banana bread and my little drink of pomegranate juice, which I drink all the time because it's very good for you, and just sit and just like, Lord, I've received this from you. As I've received this from you. I'm remembering. I'm remembering Jesus. I'm remembering he's right on the inside. I'm remembering he's not going to let me fall. I'm remembering he's going to carry me through. Sometimes in the madness of life, we forget him. But communion provides 
a breakthrough place when we need to stop our busyness and remember Him. If we would do that more often, it would change our lives and maybe it would change the lives of the people around us. So we're going to take communion now. And some people, it's in the middle of between the tables. Otherwise, there's stations all around the room. So if we can get up and and take, you know, and grab our communion cups. And I'm going to read this scripture to us. And as I do, we're going to take communion together. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's drink together. Father, we're so grateful to you that, like Jake said, Jesus didn't have to come, but he left everything that heaven is to come down and be with us in solidarity with a people who had no other hope except for him. And Lord, we lay before you our own inadequacies and our own brokenness and our own total inability to be good enough to stand before you in heaven. And Lord, we thank you that we don't have to do that because the Lord Christ was there before us and on our behalf. Lord, we thank you for the gift that you have given to us, telling us that as often as we want to, we can take this bread and drink this cup And remember who you are and what you are in our lives. And knowing that we don't have to rely on ourselves, but we rely on you. And to you be all the glory for that, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our Sunday podcast. If you enjoyed it, either subscribe or follow on the podcast app that you use to keep up to date on when our next Sunday podcast gets released. Have a safe and blessed week.